Okay. Good. How was your holiday? Did you do anything fun? We went to the lake. So we spent two days at the lake, which was fun. And then I had to work on um, the airplane. So I spent kind of two middle of the night sessions working on that. And yeah, just went to the lake and kind of floated around. And I'm already sad about winter disappearing, uh, winter coming and summer disappearing. So it's, um, <laughs> we're trying to make the most of it while we can. And that's all you can do. I mean, with COVID, yeah, it's just amazing. The, the summer just flew by like that. Kid, my kids are back at school right now. I have no idea where July or August went. My, yeah, I think everybody's summer was thrown into a major tizzy. Honestly, I just had a chat with my dad. He works in the mines in Australia, and he's doing night shifts. And I just had to talk to him this morning when I woke up. And it's just a year. It's just a crap year. Like, it's just a, one of these. You need a lot of patience, and I don't have a lot of patience. So it's just, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good things and it could be a lot worse, but it's just one of those, yeah. Yeah, it will be nice to hit the reset button and start fresh in 2021, I think. Everyone says that, but I think what's going to happen is it's just going to become 2021 the year that everyone hates because I don't, like, it's not going to get better that quickly. I think this is going to push well into, we're meant to go home to Australia for Christmas and, you know, there's no chance in the world that we're going to get there. So... Yeah, this is going to push on a fair while, I think, but that's all right. Well, hopefully, if nothing else, just from a psychological perspective, people go, ah, it's 2021 <laughs> now, so. fresh start. Hopefully, that's like, like, what, what do they call that? The placebo effect? Nothing's really yeah. changed, but everybody thinks it's changed. So we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I think, hopefully, mate, hopefully. But um, cool. Well, I mentioned to Rachel that there may be noises out the back of this. Like, this is a window. And we're in a big, uh, normally they do the mowing on a Monday morning, so we don't book anything for Monday. But because of Labor Day, it's been pushed to today. That said, it's gone silent, so they might be done. Okay. But they Good. might come back. If well, they do, I'll keep going. You just tell me to stop. Sure. Well, especially when you have a 60-acre lawn like you do. I mean, that's a lot of machinery <laughs> out there cutting grass. <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> Someday. All right. Well, I think we are ready to go, ladies. Okay. All right, Ryan. So first, uh, go ahead. Are you recording this as video? Are you going to use the video as well? Are we going to use the... No, we will not use the video. Okay, sweet. Cool. Although yeah. we do have two good-looking guys on the episode here this morning, I will say. <laughs> I it seems, seems like I a shame press. not to. I spent all this money to, like, press buttons and that. <laughs> but um, some of the podcasts, we we just run the footage as well if they're going to use it on YouTube. Because as we tell the, like talk about different things, we can run all these bits of content. But that just makes it easy. So we'll just chat. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we are recording anyway. So if we ever change our mind or see some uh, opportunity for it, we can certainly do that. All right. So with that, I'm just going to uh, tee us up before I forget. Thanks for joining us, man. I know how busy you are and it's going to be uh, wonderful to hear your story on the program. More than welcome, mate. More than welcome. All right. On today's episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Ryan Campbell, CEO of Ryan Campbell Speaking. Ryan, it's wonderful to have you on the program here today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, at the risk of raising the bar extraordinarily high, you have one of the most interesting stories I've ever heard, and we're very excited to have you share it with our listeners here today. Can you start by telling us a little bit about your background, please? I, uh, I'm i just a normal Aussie kid. Any more laid back, I'll be lying down. That's at my core. Is, you know, that's who I am. Uh, I grew up in a normal Aussie family uh, by the beach in Australia, just about five hours south of Sydney. And uh, I had two older brothers. My dad was a local milkman. My mum was a stay-at-home mum. But for some reason, uh, at six years old, 
uh, I decided that aviation would be uh, the driving force behind all of the decisions in my life. I, it was my passion discovered on a Boeing 737 as we headed out uh, to the Pacific Ocean for a holiday. And at six years old, I decided I wanted to be a pilot. And from that point on, it never changed. And for me, aviation, I suppose, would bring the highest points in my life, you know, the most positive, amazing experiences, greater than any normal Aussie kid would ever imagine being possible. But then aviation would also bring the absolute worst moments of my life. And uh, it's been a pretty wild roller coaster ride uh, of ups and downs. I decided uh, to learn to fly. Uh, Common Sense told me that, all right, you're going to need two things. You're going to need money and you're probably going to be old enough to have, you know, drive a car before they'll let you fly an airplane. Well, I was right on one front and wrong on the other. So I definitely needed money. Uh, and I found that with a couple of after school jobs. But I didn't need to have a driver's license. In fact, when I was 14 years old, I read an article in a newspaper about a kid who flew an airplane on his own for the very first time on the day that he turned 15. So the first day he was legally allowed, he flew uh, all by himself. He flew solo. So pretty determined at 14, blown away, jealous and envious and all of that stuff. I decided that, you know, if he could do it, why couldn't I? So I found those after school jobs, started to save my money. And every two weeks I'd take a flying lesson. And on my 15th birthday, uh, much to everyone's excitement, except my mum, she was absolutely petrified. I climbed into an airplane and I took off and I flew it all by myself. And in that moment, as a young kid, you know, still two years away from being able to legally drive a car on my own, I discovered what I could do with, you know, a real kind of stubborn, hardworking mentality and, you know, a whole bunch of goal setting. But I also discovered this newfound passion for wanting to do everything I could at the youngest possible age. Well, that was a, a journey starter for sure. So at 16, I was flying my friends and family around in the airplane uh, again, you know, I couldn't drive a car. So all my buddies at school who were older than me, we had a deal. Uh, they would take me from school, drive me to the airport. I'd put them in an airplane, we'd go flying, and then they'd have to drop me back home after, uh, after we landed. Uh, at 17, I had a private pilot's license. At 18, I had a commercial pilot's license. But it was at 17 that I, you know, being this kid that was never content, always wanted to chase the bigger and the better, I decided to take on a, a world first, a history breaking expedition. I decided at 17 that I wanted to attempt to become the youngest person, the first teenager in history to fly a single engine airplane solo around the world. Uh, something that had, you know, more people at this point in time had been to space and flown solo around the world. So this was a pretty, you know, hard challenge to take on, let alone to take it on at 17. So I found myself kind of uh, wrapped up in something that, you know, at some days I just thought, what have I done? I've bitten off more than I can chew here. But uh, we spent two years planning, training and preparing as a pilot uh, and fundraising as a normal Aussie family, a quarter of a million dollars on a laptop computer and renting a single engine airplane. And at 17, it's really hard to find someone who's willing to rent you their airplane so you can fly around the world. Uh, but we rented a four seat single engine propeller airplane, just like you'd learn to fly in. And uh, we put a 160 gallon fuel tank inside that airplane. And uh, at 19 years of age, after that wild journey of planning, building a massive team, uh, I climbed into that airplane and took off. What followed was 24,000 nautical miles uh, all the way across the Pacific Ocean in this tiny little airplane, uh, all the way across North America, up 
uh, over Greenland and Iceland, over the North Atlantic, back down through Europe and the Middle East and um, back into Asia and the West Coast of Australia. And then for the first time in my life, flying across my own country. Uh, it was uh, 35 stops, 15 countries, a wild adventure. Shortest leg was 20 minutes. The longest leg was 15 hours nonstop in this tiny little airplane from Hawaii to California. And a typical adventure with all the ups and downs that any good expedition should have, you know, from 60,000 foot thunderstorms to icing over the North Atlantic to, you know, moments of absolute boredom to moments of, you know, fear and terror and, you know, wondering whether you'll ever get home and why, why do they ever do this? You know, questioning life and, and all the decisions you've made at 19. Uh, but what resulted from all of this wild, crazy uh, decision-making was a world record uh, sure, I was the youngest person, the first teenager to fly solo around the world, but I didn't even want to submit the Guinness World Record paperwork. My mum made me. Uh, very glad she did. Mums are always right, but uh, I didn't even want to submit the paperwork. It wasn't about the record by the time we finished. One, I was just glad to be home. But two, I was so blown away by what we had done uh, in the way of inspiring and uplifting and encouraging and, and putting a message out there of, you know, what you can really do if you, you're crazy enough to pursue it, if you have the courage and the commitment. And it was those transformational stories, everyone from six-year-old kids, just like I was, who now want to learn to fly because of it, through to World War II Spitfire pilots who were writing with letters saying that was just incredible. You know, my heroes uh, had watched the flight. Uh, from that point on, life was good. Man, like I was 19 years old and, and I wrote a book uh, called Born to Fly. Now, my nan can tell you every page number of every spelling mistake in that whole book, but uh, I wrote a book and we watched that story spread far and wide, even further than what I could uh, deliver with my own, you know, uh, vocal cords. We, I was given awards and, you know, named one of Australia's 50 greatest explorers and I've met the Royals and, you know, just all this wild stuff for a normal kid. I tell all those stories because I want people to understand that my life was actually really good at this point. But on the 28th of December, 2015, that all changed. Uh, I was at work on a normal day. My job was to fly a 1930s biplane. It was open cockpit. It was an old World War II train, a beautiful airplane. My job was to fly that aircraft up and down the coast of Australia to take one person at a time for a ride, to do some aerobatics, uh, to go upside down and just have a good time. And we took off that morning, had a gentleman in, uh, in the front seat and I was in the back and uh, we, he was a really nice man. He was also a pilot and we took off out of this small grass airstrip uh, in Australia and we had no records to break, no oceans to cross. It was just a normal day at work. And as the runway disappeared beneath the nose at around about 150 feet or so, the engine failed. And within three or four seconds, despite doing absolutely everything that I could do, we pushed the nose down, we're over trees, tried to, you know, find a solution, but we just had no time or space. And what resulted was a horrific, horrific plane wreck. Uh, one that was so bad that they cut me out of the airplane uh, and flew me to hospital, five breaks in my back, shattered from head to toe, you know, every, everything was broken. But they flew me to hospital as the only survivor. And in a split-second moment, my entire life had changed. You know, I'd gone from the absolute top of the tree to these pits of a back-breaking hell. And I was operated on immediately and placed into a, a hospital ward 
not only with those five breaks in my back and shattered from head to toe, but a spinal cord injury, no movement or feeling from the waist down. I was a complete paraplegic. What followed was the hardest by far thing I've ever done in my life. It was six months in hospital in a spinal rehabilitation ward and a year and a half in rehabilitation. An unbelievably long journey, not just back to walking, but back to flying. For me, walking was merely a stepping stone on the way back to flying. That's how naive I say I was at that point in time. But uh, a very long journey of discovery, a opportunity, although I didn't see it at the time, to compare uh, the unbelievable highs in life and the unbe- uh, unbelievable lows all by the age of 21. Um, you know, that accident was two weeks before I turned 22. So I was in hospital as a 22-year-old kid discovering a different side of myself that I had never found on the round-the-world flight. I'd been given an opportunity to see where we truly grow and become who we are, you know, in life. Is it from the good times or the bad times? And it has uh, been a wild journey, uh, four and a half years, nearly five years since the accident. Uh, and a wild uh, journey that's led to now sharing that uh, based in the USA as a keynote speaker, you know, talking about, uh, you know, not only how do we overcome adversity and how do we navigate change, but how do we use the tough times in life to, to help build a better future? So that's probably the short version of a long story. Well, and thank you for making me look good along the way as well, because I did say that was one of the most compelling stories I've ever heard, and you certainly did not disappoint, Ryan. Gosh, my head is swimming with follow-up questions, so let's just take this one at a time. And again, thank you for sharing that riveting story with us. One of the things that jumps out in that story of what you just shared with us was the fact that you're never content. Two-part question, I suppose, for you. A, Where does that come from? Have you always been that way? And if so, where do you think you get that from? But then also number two, as nice as that may sound, I'm never content, I'm never satisfied, I'm never happy. Obviously, that's going to lead to a lot of professional success, and you are certainly case in point in that regard. Is there a downside to being never content? And if so, what is that? Oh, there really is, 100%. Um, I was a, a, a an eight-year-old kid who wanted to unpack the dishwasher before school so I could earn some dollars because I had some kind of, you know, toy in my head. Or, you know, I remember back in the day, and this makes me sound old, but I, want, I had a Discman to play my CDs on the school bus, and I wanted an $8 black and yellow Discman bag, a little case that could hold a few CDs on my Discman. And I remember my mom saying, yeah, like, you can have it. You got to do some chores. So I remember doing those chores before school when my brothers would sleep in just because I wanted that $8 bag. Uh, for me, I think as I've grown older, I've realized it's about the pursuit, not uh, actually having whatever that, uh, you know, item is that I, it, it's about the journey. I've always wanted to be someone who does things out of the norm you know, I was inspired by the pioneering aviators of, you know, kind of the early 1900s who pushed limits uh, as a human and, and, you know, discovered and just did phenomenal things. Is that want to push hard, you know, the want that led to the round the world flight, the want that, you know, led to get, you know, back on my feet and, and then back into a, a flying machine and, and then ultimately led me here to the US as a keynote speaker. Is that definitely 100% a good thing absolutely not I remember Gary Vaynerchuk of all people saying you know I see friends of mine he said I see friends of mine who are on $60,000 a year they've got three kids 
you know, a, a nice house, you know, they coach the local football team or, you know, baseball team for their kids and they're so unbelievably content. And he was envious of that. And, and I am some days also envious, you know, when, when life gets stressful, when business gets stressful, when, you know, we have something maybe called a pandemic hit, you know, we find ourselves in a state where we just wish we were on a $60,000 safe income, you know, we owned one car and whatever, but that's not who I am. You know, yesterday I climbed into, and this is another long story, but I climbed into a pink Cadillac that I bought when I moved to America for some unbelievable reason. And my girlfriend and I, we did three hours around middle Tennessee, you know, on back roads, looking at houses and, you know, going for lunch in this pink Cadillac. And that embodies who I am, you know, and, and hence why we always ask the question, what's your pink Cadillac? You know, what's the one thing you do that makes you smile that's ridiculous and not quite logical, but, you know, I'm living a life that I am proud of one that, you know, is full of adventure and unknowns and highs and lows. And, you know, I hope when I get to the end of my life and I am a very, you know, I really think about mortality a lot when I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to be there knowing that I gave this my absolute best shot because we only get one chance at that. So there are downsides. Yes, it's not all good, but I'm, I'm happy with the way that, you know, I tackle life at, the, at this point. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate you walking us through that. The other thing, just because I'm a very curious person, I know our listeners have to be curious now too, especially as we listen to your riveting story there. You had talked about as you circumnavigated the world, there were some boring moments, there were some long moments, but you also discussed how there were some downright terrifying moments. If you had to pick the most terrifying moment of your circumnavigation around the globe, what would it be? There were probably three really big moments, but one that stands out was uh, yeah, there's a band of weather around the Earth, around about the equator called the Intertropical Convergence Zone or the ITCZ or Z as I would call it. And it's a band of bad weather that moves up and down around the equator, you know, depending on the time of the year. And it is no joke. An airliner may fly at 35, you know, 38, 40,000 feet, whereas I was in an airplane that flew at 9,000 feet. It was a plastic airplane with a whippersnapper engine, as I would call it. We took off out of an island in the Pacific called Christmas Island. It was a coral atoll in Kiribati, this tiny little, you know, it just popped up in the middle of nowhere. I took off out of that island one morning after having loaded the fuel into the aircraft that we shipped to that island three months before departure. So I had all of the, the fuel available on that island in my airplane and I took off. I was in the air for probably 20 minutes with a long leg from that island to Hawaii in front of me, about 10 hours, when San Francisco Air Traffic Control called me up and said, hey, there's an unforecast storm that's just popped up in this ITCZ right on your track to Hawaii. It was a thunderstorm that went from sea level to 60,000 feet. So basically filled, you know, the lower atmosphere and, you know, there was no way that you could go over it in, in any airplane, let alone this. And there's no way you would survive going through it. I did not have any fuel if I was to return back to that island. I could not dump the fuel that was inside the aircraft and I could not land with the airplane being so heavy. We didn't have approval to do that. I would have had to circle that island for six hours we decided to continue on. So we actually ended up flying 180 nautical miles right of track with air traffic controls help. Still went through the edge of that thunderstorm, but missed the core of it. Managed to fly a leg that still allowed us to make Hawaii, you know, with the fuel that we had on board, uh, but avoid that 
core of the storm. The ride itself on the way around was absolutely terrifying. I just, I'd never seen a storm that big. I didn't know storms could be that big. And I'm 19 years old in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you know, questioning everything. And uh, it was, it was frightening. I, I think to have that level of responsibility in your decision-making at that age, not only as a pilot, but as a human was, was pretty rough, but we made it. So, When as we look to the accident and what happened post-accident, I have to imagine there were some very tough days for you, very trying days. Even a person of your character, your spirit, your energy and enthusiasm, there were probably days where you wanted to give up where you didn't think you had the stamina and strength to overcome the challenges that were facing you at this moment. What kept you going, Ryan, during those darkest hours? And as a follow-up, what advice would you give to anybody listening to this program that might be facing their own adversity at the moment? I did find it unbelievably hard, and especially with the outcome of the accident, it was just a whole lot of questioning as to you know what happened on the day and why you know the big question was why and it was unbelievably hard and to say that I wanted to give up more than once is another statement there was definitely plenty of those days but I had so much support from people left right and center who wanted to come in and and provide me these tools and tips as to how they think I could get through what was ahead of me and as as good as that was, it was a little overwhelming. I had everyone from my mom and dad to doctors and nurses to other patients to, you know, the ex-Australia Wallaby rugby union coach came in and all these incredible people wanted to help me. But I remember one day going to a coffee shop and a gentleman met me there and I'm in my wheelchair and he walked down uh, to meet me and he was missing an arm and he was missing a leg. His name was Paul DeGelder and he's a Australian shark attack survivor he was a Navy clearance diver in Sydney Harbour, attacked by a bull shark, lost his arm and his leg. So we're both sitting at this table at an outside cafe looking like we'd both had really rough days. And I remember Paul looking at me and talking about life and he said three words. He just said, sink or swim. Just like that, sink or swim. And in all the hours with every psychologist in the world, I mean, I ended up telling psychologists how they felt. You know, like I had really been through so much... Uh, content and discussion with all sorts of different people to better myself, you know, and be ready to work through this challenge. But at the end of the day, it was those three words that changed everything because he told me sink or swim and he didn't have to explain it because when I looked at him, I knew that at one point in his life, Paul actually chose to swim and he had to physically swim. And when we think about sinking and I'm a very blunt human when it comes to this, I may be too Australian in that sense, but swimming is a long slippery slope to suicide. And I'm really passionate about young people and this challenge of mental health and people losing the battle. And it is a long slippery slope to that. When we look at the other option, we swim. That day I made the decision to swim, just like I made the decision to pursue the round the world flight, you know, despite whatever challenge was ahead, giving up and saying no was not an answer. That's the decision that I made in Spinal Rehabilitation Board and I would work every day as hard as I could and and I would not operate to other people's standards. I would now operate to my own maximum potential. That's what mattered. I had to be at my maximum potential, whatever that may be. I had to find it and I had to maintain it. You know, and some days you'd fall short, but it was it was the goal of striving for it every day. I discovered throughout my time in rehabilitation that life is one and lost above the shoulders. You know, if I can tell you that learning to walk again is a mental challenge, not a physical challenge, 
that's a pretty big statement to make. But that's what it was. There was a physical element, sure, 100%, you know, and there still is in my day-to-day life, but it is all above the shoulders. I am so unbelievably passionate and I encourage everyone out there to understand that, to, uh, to realize that resiliency and having a mindset that allows you to navigate all sorts of change, you know, challenge, crisis and adversity is one of the most important skills that we can have in life because adversity is simply a byproduct of breathing. It doesn't matter, you know, we've all experienced adversity and we will all experience more. And this year has been the perfect example that we'll all experience it together. So that's just a byproduct of breathing. So find the passion in life and the understanding that we can better ourselves mentally, you know, with all sorts of different tactics, tips, tricks, ways of thinking to be the most resilient human we can be. And that will allow us to overcome and do all sorts of incredible things once we, you know, kind of gain that control. Yeah. One thing that I admire most about you, Ryan, is not only did you overcome this adversity, not only did you overcome these challenges to, to be the best possible version of yourself, but you are now also sharing your story generously with others. You are touching lives. You are making the world a better place and individuals that hear your story and learn from you are inspired and encouraged because of that. So with that being said, I know you do a decent amount of keynote speaking now, and one of your keynote talks is focused on overcoming adversity, navigating change, and really how to build a better future. So to get us going, I mean, of all the things that you could have done following this journey that you've had up to this point in your life, what made you decide to go into public speaking? What was the motivation for that? Well, at the end of the round the world flight, actually, I had a lot of people reach out and say, hey, would you come and speak at our event? So, you know, here comes Laidback Ryan with his MacBook Air and, you know, a presentation on there that he made, you know, with a drink one night and he, he plugs it in and he tells his story for 45 minutes. And there wasn't really any content within those speeches. It was simply just a storytelling adventure. And I saw the power of a story after the round the world flight and how that can you know, impact and affect and inspire people. It wasn't a passion of mine at that point in time. Flying was a passion. And I continued to work as a pilot. And ultimately that, you know, led to the accident. When I came out of spinal rehabilitation ward now, I am walking. I I spent six months in hospital, a year and a half in rehabilitation. I found my way back to my feet. I have a lot of things wrong with me from head to toe. No systems internally, no calf muscles, glute muscles, no feeling on the backs of my legs and my feet. My feet don't work very well. But despite all of that stuff, I did make my way back to flying also. So I walk like I've had too many Tennessee whiskeys, but I fly modified fixed wing airplanes so I can't fly for a living in the airline industry anymore. But I did learn to fly helicopters to a commercial uh, level as an incomplete paraplegic. Now, I was flying the helicopter one day, determined to be a pilot, and I had a rock in my shoe. Now, I can't feel my feet, so I didn't know the rock was in my shoe. And I remember later on thinking, my foot feels funny, which is very odd. And I took my shoe off and found it full of blood. And that took me straight to hospital. It took uh, a week in hospital and then another two months back in that wheelchair that I'd worked so hard to get out of. It was at that point that I really had a moment where I thought, come on, Ryan, you know, like, what are we doing here? You know, what do I want to do with my life? And I saw the power in the story. Now, we, we share content, absolutely, you know, we, we do. But the power is in it, the Aussie storytelling behind it, the people that I've met along the way and these uh, individuals, not just myself and my own story that seem to embed into others, you know, the minds of others. And, you know, 
impact and affect their way of thinking from that point on. So I made the decision whilst I was in that wheelchair to pursue speaking full time and to do good with the story. And that led to moving to the USA and, you know, building the speaking business here. So I had done it prior. Uh, I had enjoyed it, but it was, you know, that moment in the helicopter and, and in the wheelchair that made me say, all right, let's do this, you know, full time and, and let's do it well. So just to give our listeners a taste potentially of some of this content and insight that you provide as a keynote speaker, what would you say are some of the tips that you have for how to use adversity and turn that into fuel for building resilient teams and individuals? Can you give us a bit of a sneak preview in that regard? A hundred percent. So at a really kind of high level, looking down, you know, a broad kind of explanation, we talk about this idea of taking the moments that we all experience in life, you know, these inspirational little moments, like tips and tricks that we pull from might be a conversation with your, your grandma, or it might be a learning opportunity at work or whatever it may be, just a byproduct of living, taking those moments, converting them to tools, tools that we can use to navigate change, challenge, crisis and adversity, and then placing them in what I call the mindset toolbox, which is a place to put easily forgettable moments. We place them in an unforgettable drawer, a drawer that we have access to 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And this mindset toolbox becomes a tangible way for us to measure, you know, our growth mentally, you know, with all of these different ways that we can be more resilient and, and do great things and overcome. So the mindset toolbox was what allowed me to get through hospital. So we kind of give that as a, uh, just a way of thinking. So start to build your mindset toolbox, learn how to find your tools, when to use them and how to keep them sharp. But when we actually look at change and, and building resilient teams, we talk about this idea of a three-step checklist and, you know, we talk about the background of a checklist and, and how it works in the aviation industry and how strong and powerful it is. And then the, we share this three-step checklist, which happens to be my three favorite tools from my mindset toolbox uh, in a simple three-step gratitude, confidence, and resilience checklist, one that you can apply anytime you're having a rough day, not to solve your problems, but to place you in a more change and challenge-ready mindset. So we dig into the mindset toolbox. We dig into a checklist culture. We talk about how we can use those rough times in life to um, you know, to better ourselves and and um, really the responsibility we have when it comes to you know living a life uh, above our own shoulders. So we could dive into it obviously at length, but um, we'd love to discuss with the company. We're doing a Fortune 500 on Thursday and we love to talk to the company and say, all right, what ratio of storytelling do you want? Because there's so much power in storytelling. What ratio of storytelling do you want to actual content? You know, the content that's helped me through my life and we can build a, a customized keynote or a, a workshop session for, you know, the client's needs, depending on where they're at right now. Well, I know from previous conversations that you and I have had that you're a, a man of faith. In fact, you're going to be speaking to our C-Suite for Christ group in early 2021, and it's certainly going to be a blessing to have you share your story and content with this uh, room full of business executives that happen to share the same faith that we do. How has your faith played a role in your life up to this point, including your recovery, including overcoming adversity? What does that look like for you on your side? I think uh, as someone who thinks a lot, as a human who just thinks way too much, uh, I question so much of the world around us. And, you know, when I, in Australia, went to a, a, a faith-based college for 13 years of my life and, and grew up around that and in the church and 
when I had my accident, that's a really, especially with the outcome of the accident, that's a really tough time, you know, start questioning some serious, uh, you know, whys, you know, why me? Why did I make it? Why did he not? You know, the, the most powerful element of my upbringing in a faith-based community was the values that we pulled from that. You know, and I value, <laughs> poor choice of words, but I value those values incredibly. It is the core of who I am. You know, next to my family, growing up with that respect for others around me, the respect for, you know, people older and more experienced, you know, which is what has allowed me to kind of move forward at a rapid rate, learning from those individuals. Having that strong faith, in you know, and need to be a good human has just helped me in leaps and bounds because from that way of living came waves of support when I needed it. You know, people around me who could lift me up when I was down. And, you know, I think that's what has led to me being in a position now where I want to help lift others up when they are down. And, um, you know, I would not be who I am if it wasn't for my upbringing, you know, in, in a faith-based world for sure. So what would you say the future holds for Ryan Campbell? I mean, as a guy who has accomplished so much already, as somebody who, to use your words, is never content, is always thinking, is really just restless to a certain degree, but certainly wants to continue to leave his impact on the rest of the world, what's next for you? I'm putting every part of my day into my business and and this idea of sharing these messages as a speaker whether it be a keynote speaker at a conference you know being that one keynote you know delivering that big session or whether it be you know speaking with a a large corporation here in the states you know to a team of 20 a team of 20 executives or you know a leadership team or you know for me it's growing that opportunity to share what i have learned uh, and to help others to grow personally and, and to build this business and to do some good. Um, I live in Nashville. I have a, a Tennessee girlfriend who's just absolutely incredible. And I will now always have a life embedded here in the States because of that. And honestly, I'd love to grow the business. Uh, I'm 26. So, you know, I'm still at the point of I've got to buy my first house and I've got to you know, do all those adult things that I seem to avoid for so long. And um, I'd love to have a little house here and a little house in Australia and be able to go back and forth and, and live that life. And, um, but honestly, you would think that I would have another adventure on the horizon or another wild, you know, idea, but my adventure is this business and, you know, helping as many people as we can. I want ultimately to teach others what I know without them having to experience what I experienced. Well, one thing I'm certain of is just like you've inspired me over the course of this conversation, I'm ready to tackle my day. Boy, I'm glad we had this early in the morning because now I got the the whole day ahead of me to take some of these words of wisdom. Um, I, I have no doubt you also inspired a number of our listeners as well. So if somebody's listening to this and says, you know what, Ryan would be an excellent keynoter for our organization. You know what, I, I definitely want to, to learn a little bit more from him. Our executive team certainly would find value in that as well. How do people get a hold of you and what would you recommend as the next step in that regard? I would, we would love to just have a conversation, you know, and we, we are real casual laid back and, you know, we just want to know who you are and, and what you're struggling with right now and how can we help. If we can help, we will. If we can't help, we'll tell you about someone who can. 
but you can reach out to us through the website, which is www.ryancampbell.co. It's not .com. I cannot afford the M yet. It's .co. So, or you can just reach out to me directly even. Just send me an email, ryan at ryancampbell.co and um, we'll connect. We'll jump on a call and learn a little bit more about each other and uh, take it from there. Well, Ryan, on behalf of all of us at Beyond the Known, thank you so much for being so generous with your time here today. I can say just personally, having the opportunity to, to get to know you better over the past several months, you've been a blessing to my life. I'm very honored to consider you a friend and appreciate you sharing your words of wisdom with us here today. Thank you so much for having me, honestly. I really appreciate it. I covered all my stuff. Ryan, was there anything you would like us to discuss? Was there anything maybe you were hoping we were going to uh, uh, cover but that we did not? No, I'm happy, mate. No, that's fine. I appreciate it. Okay. As long as you're happy, I'm happy. I'm very happy. No, job well done. You exceeded my already sky-high expectations, so that <laughs> was that was good. Let me do a um, let me do just do a quick intro, just a little preview for our listeners in terms of what our conversation is going to be about. And otherwise, if you're good, it sounds like we're good as well. Cool. All right. <clears throat> On the next episode of Beyond the Known, our guest is Ryan Campbell, CEO of Ryan Campbell Speaking. During our conversation, Ryan is going to share with us that no matter what adversity you're currently facing. Life is won or lost above the shoulders. As well as the fact that everyone needs to find their own pink Cadillac. Also, how three words can literally change your life. Sink or swim. You will not want to miss this enlightening conversation. Okay, well, when my producer just says one word, good, that usually means we've hit all the high notes. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate your time today. And, uh, yeah, we'll certainly stay in touch and let you know when we're ready to release this thing. Cool. So if you send, um, or Rachel, if you send it to me, we'll put it out on our, like, channels, you know, and and share it. Um, As for February, I think January or February, I've got the date they're locked in. Um, what did you want to do? Well, I've got you here because I've got so many things going on. What did you want to, is there anything we need to do with that? What do you want to do? Do you no. want to? Yeah, no, I don't. As it is? I, I think we're good to go. So what we'll do is we'll just, we'll sign that agreement and we'll just pay for the, cool. the 750 up upfront. Yeah. I'll just quick books you for that easily. And then whenever you're ready. So I'm just happy to do that whenever. Um, and we're, it's virtual, isn't it? We're locked in with virtual. It will be virtual. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's, I think, and it, like to show you, I don't know whether you're doing a lot of the virtual stuff or whether you, but this is for us to kind of turn around and this is what we're doing. You know, we, I, I did Fidelity Investments last week and it took them five days for another Fidelity Investments to come forth and ask us to do an event for their part of the business. So we're doing another one on Thursday for Fidelity and, yeah, it seems to be spreading really well, but just so you have an idea of what we're going to deliver January, February, um, this is what it'll look like. I won't have the headphones on or whatever, but we'll deliver basically a full storytelling session with that same content. Um, if you want to talk maybe a little bit beforehand, maybe a couple of weeks before we can jump on and just make sure that any talking points you guys want or normally have covered that we can make sure we include it. But other than that, 
Yeah. It should be pretty straightforward. Okay, no, that's fine. I think right now the most important thing is just getting us locked in on your busy schedule. So, yeah, I'll return that uh, form that you had sent over. If you want to just invoice me for the full amount, C-Suite for Christ, what we'll pay for that right away as well. And then I think, right. yeah, as, as we get a little bit closer, you know, maybe about a, a month or so, uh, just to walk through some yeah. of those logistics. Uh, for us, the big thing is, you know, just sharing the story like you did here today. Very powerful stuff. But I think the obviously with a, a bit more of an emphasis on the uh, the faith piece because uh, yeah. yeah we're going to have hundreds of christian business executives all across the planet listening to your talk that day so for sure you know however you want to weave that in but yeah really leading with uh, the faith and how that's helped sustain you and basically yeah. as, as executives what can we take from that to apply to our own daily lives as well that would certainly be a, a nice takeaway for our uh our we guests had a as well. chat with who did i speak to probably joel howard Joel. So my head is a blur. I swear I hit it really hard one day. Um, so I spoke to Joel and we talked about how we're going to do that. So that's easy. We're going to do, I'll embed it in there. And then he's going to ask me a couple of uh, questions around that at the end of it to kind of make sure that's the key last element of the talk and takeaway. So we'll cover that easy. Good. Um, do you want me to send that invoice straight to you to your email address just send it to me yeah i mean we got some committees that'll take care of it but yeah if it's if at least if it's funneled to me that'll just make it a little bit easier but yeah i think that's the best way to go and then I, like i said i do have that document your team produced we'll sign that and we'll cool. get that back to you just so we can lock this in and get all set and ready to go you're a good man if you need me call me will do well i appreciate you brother thanks for sharing your awesome story really do appreciate that oh uh, you're more than welcome thanks guys okay see you ryan bye